Yesterday I sat down with artist and playwright, nonprofit organizer Becky Bozen, and we talked about the COVID 19 coronavirus pandemic and what we can do as artists to use this time to grow and learn and create. So let's get to it and hear what Becky says about it. Thank you for being here on the Girl Break Podcast, Becky. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Sure. So we are in the midst of quarantining ourselves and our family because of the coronavirus. And you've just said that you've been inside now for 10 days and we've been inside quarantined for about four or five. But I thought this is a great time to reflect on what's going on in the world. And I'd love to hear your opinion on what we can learn from this and opportunities that we that might come from it. So thanks, thanks again for being here. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. Yeah. So Becky, I know you're a very passionate person. You love uplifting people and communities through your all of your endeavors. So tell me a little bit about like the programs that you've done in the past. So some of the programs that I've loved the most throughout the course of my life and career, because in the arts, there's really no difference, is there? <laughs> um, have started with great collaborations and collaborations with seemingly non-traditional partners. So an example of that is in 2015, I was commissioned by the Lead Center for Performing Arts to create a child hunger musical with my writing partner, David Von Campen, um, in partnership with Clinton Elementary School, which is a Title I school here in Lincoln, which means that a large um, portion of the students there are on the free and reduced lunch program and the Food Bank of Lincoln. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm, I'm a theater artist, a playwright, an actor, producer, director, and educator. And when we think about theater, we don't necessarily go straight to the idea of connecting to an organization like a food bank, but it really elevates the process um, when we can lean on the experts around us in the community to make a project stronger. Being able to work with children and students at Clinton Elementary School um, created true collaboration because I think that there's a big difference between working um, with people as um, opposed to doing something to them. So I never wanna do something to someone, I always wanna do it with them. And so that was one example of a project that I really loved. Um, it raised money and awareness about child hunger and poverty in Lincoln and has gone on so far to live in tours both in West Virginia and Orlando. And um, I, don't, um, I don't have a lot of stipulations for the way that project happens except whenever I give the rights for that project to take place in the future, it's always in collaboration with a food bank. So in Orlando, 
It was with their food bank and the same in West Virginia. And so building those kind of models and programs are um, really exciting and satisfying to me. There's a lot of talk right now about those students who are out of school and not getting the, the food that they would have gotten in schools. What are your thoughts about that? And what could we do individually to help those students or kids out that might be going hungry during these times? That's such a good question. Um, the first thing I want to say is that where we live in Lincoln, Nebraska, we are so fortunate to have an incredible food bank. The Food Bank of Lincoln does an amazing job feeding our community and southeastern Nebraska. And one thing that people can do right away if they have the means to do so is to give money through the food bank's website because I didn't learn this until I was working on putting in the grumble, but they can take a dollar and turn it into $7. So um, they, they are able to purchase and procure more food with less money than we can. So for instance, things like can drives, um, while they can be supportive, those dollars make a huge difference in the amounts of food that they can give. And because of COVID-19, the food bank can't take food donations right now. So that's one way to help. Another way to help, and I think it's something we all can do, is to remember that hunger doesn't look a certain way. It doesn't discriminate. And so now's a great time to pick up the phone or get on Facebook and just check on your friends and neighbors. Um, sometimes people are dealing with food insecurity and they don't look like what we think people would look like who are struggling. There's a lot of um, stigma attached to hunger and a lot of sort of preconceived notions about what that means. But we have something like a 46% um, child hunger rate in Lincoln, Nebraska, which means we all have neighbors who are struggling to make ends meet. So that personal connection piece right now, just saying, hey, you guys doing okay? We'd be happy to drop something off for you, leave it on the porch. That's, that's something we all can do. Mm, that's a great idea. Yeah, I, I didn't know that about donating to the food bank, that they could stretch that dollar, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, they um, are wizards there. They, um, and our food bank, something that I learned that I'm so proud of in working with food banks in other states through this process, um, the first time that they hear that I'm from Lincoln they talk about our food bank being national rock stars. <laughs> so I think we're really lucky here to have people like Scott Young and Michaela Kumke and John Mabry and the whole leadership team over there who are, who are doing a great job to take care of um, our community. Well, that sounds like an amazing opportunity that you had to work with them and create that show, which I saw and it was very moving and you're right. You can't, you don't know what hunger looks like. It doesn't look like what you might think it looks like. It could be, you know, one of your best friends. You just don't know. So I like those tips um, that you've shared. Thank you. Tell me about the, the blanket drive. So the blanket drive, um, it's one of those ideas that, that wasn't really planned. It just sort of came to be. 
I have a, a small nonprofit called Blix Locally Grown, and it's um, our our nonprofit is all about arts based learning and projects and engagement. And we were working on a new show, my play Snowcatcher, which is about the school children's blizzard blizzard of eighteen eighty eight. Um, but part of the reason I got engaged with writing that show is because in 2017, I read an article in the Omaha World Herald about a child dying from exposure in her own home or from hypothermia in her own home, essentially, because the utilities were not paid and there was no heat in the home. And so I was really, um, I was really upset to think that that could happen in today's world. And I was writing a play about a child facing hypothermia over a hundred years ago, you know? And so, so as I started working on this play and also working with students in multiple schools as a teaching artist, I started to have conversations um, with them in class about what was going on in their lives and sort of relevant themes. And some, it was close to the holidays, and something that we were hearing students say over and over again was that they were hoping that Santa would bring a blanket for Christmas or bedding for Christmas. And it had not occurred to me at the time that that was something that children were looking forward to receiving or hoping that they would receive. But we started to connect to administrators who let us know that this actually was something that um, was at the forefront of their students' minds. And so once again, in the spirit of doing with instead of to, because of course, I'm not an expert about a student at Arnold Elementary, only that student can be the expert about them. Mm-hmm. We went to um, Link, the Foundation for Lincoln Public Schools and met with five principals to have an early conversation. And we were so lucky because we had some um, insight from our friends at the food bank because of our prior collaboration. Dr. Marilyn Moore was really generous in sharing some time and wisdom with us. And so we gathered with these five principals and said, you know, we're working on the show. We're working in schools. Several of the kids are coming to the show at the lead center. It seems only natural that this would be a community engagement project that we could tie to Snowcatcher. If we were to build this kind of program, we wouldn't be able to do it without your expertise and insight. What, what would this look like? Um, if it, if it, would it work for you? Is it something that you think is of value? And if so, how could we shape this together? And those principles were so extraordinary and helped us really sort of flesh out a plan for what became um, a grassroots volunteer-driven blanket drive. And something that was very important to us in creating the drive was the idea that the schools and the students within the schools had agency within the program or that they could decide how to best distribute blankets, how to, um, how to best serve their student body and their students' families. So essentially what has happened in the last three years is working with a team of volunteers, we have collected new or homemade blankets or bedding that cover at least a twin size mattress. And we're pretty particular about that 
because something that we learned from our friends at the food bank is that dignity is a really important part of sharing and giving. And so we make sure that these blankets um, are nice to receive, they're cozy, they're uniformly wrapped, they have a little message on the front, a little card for each student that receives them. And we've had some amazing outcomes that we never could have anticipated from this program that puts people from all different kinds of um, social demographics in the same room as friends working together to prepare the blankets. Um, we've, we've seen students become leaders in school in schools on the blanket drive where they're the ones that help us carry the blankets in, help distribute them to their peers. There's been an amazing sort of grassroots movement locally this year particularly where people we've never met come forward and say, hey, we just made 25 blankets for this drive. Where can we drop them off? And so seeing the community weave together, um, having these amazing partnerships within the school and watching the drive grow simply um, through collaboration and the goodness of people in our community has been really exciting for us. And it's something that, um, it's something, as I said, that's all volunteer run and it brings us a great deal of joy and hopefully a lot of joy to our schools and to our students who receive blankets as well. So that all started from reading one article out of the paper. Every, everything I do starts <laughs> with reading one article. <laughs> Share with me that foresight of just taking an article or a thought and being able to expand it into a grander vision. How can we train ourselves to think of things just a little bit bigger than what's in, in front of us in order to create more change for the community? For me, it is um, simply the way I'm hardwired. When I take Clifton Strengths, um, ideation is my number one. I I connect dots quite easily. But what I would say is that we all have the power to connect dots and particularly something that I always want to encourage fellow artists and also my students to explore is the idea that there is a place for the arts as a conduit for community development. And sometimes we don't articulate it early on because we don't know what it's going to look like. So I would encourage everyone, when there's an idea brewing, take the first step and start reaching out to people. You don't have to know the end game. You simply need to bring the people on board who can help you maximize and um, sort of flesh out the idea. And that happens all the time with me also. Um, I've never had an idea that isn't 100% enhanced by all the people around me. And I think the biggest thing is just don't take for granted as creative people and as artists what role we can play. It just might be something no one's ever heard of before. So we have to be confident about saying, I think this thing can work. Mm -hmm. I know that ideas are powerful magnets to people. So when you have an idea come to you, 
um, a lot of times for reasons of self-doubt or insecurity, you might think, oh, that's a dumb idea or that's a stupid idea. But it's amazing when you share that idea with another idea person, another person that's open, they might have had similar idea as well. And then, like you said, when those two ideas come together, they're even a bigger idea. That's such an important thing to bring up. It's, it's really crucial that we all find our idea friends, um, the people that do encourage and support vision and are excited by that. And just as at times we may have fear pushing forward an idea or a vision, I think we need to understand also that when people shoot that down, usually that has to do more with their own fear as well, as opposed to, um, Mm-hmm. as opposed to anything personal. So I'm willing to hear no several times <laughs> before I give up an idea because, um, you know, in, in the world we live in and the way arts and creativity and innovation work, a lot of the wisdom that we have to impart on projects and community and anywhere that, that we can share it is non-conventional wisdom. And that takes, um, that takes some getting used to for folks who don't necessarily go to that place first, but it doesn't mean they can't get there. And that's the advantage we have as artists is so much of what we do is experiential. So if we can include someone in a process, and again, that's why it's important to do with instead of to, if we can open up our processes and have the confidence to say, we'd like your input into this, then they're a part of it. Then they've helped build the idea out and they have some ownership of it. And I think that is a great way to um, include people who might at first seem dismissive towards big ideas. So you've had people tell you no, your ideas no before? Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I've had that happen so often, or I've felt like, um, you know, I'm a 43 year old woman who's been working in the theater for over 20 years. And I still sometimes feel that I have to spend a great deal of time educating, convincing, um, holding my breath. So I don't say the thing that wants to come out of my mouth right away executing patience and tenacity because um, a lot of my ideas and thoughts are seemingly non-conventional. But I think when purpose meets passion and what these wonderful collaborative projects that I've worked on in my lifetime have allowed me to do is to center my passion with purpose, that becomes so much more important than pleasing everyone around me. And so I've gotten better and I continue to get better all the time at the idea that if you can't come along for the ride, then maybe it's okay if you're not along for the ride. Maybe it's not your ride. There are always people who want to come on the ride, (laughs) you know, and to co-pilot. So, um, you know, some of it is just making sure that I reiterate to myself that someone's not into it. It doesn't mean it's personal and it doesn't mean it can't happen. It means I haven't knocked on the right door yet. Mm. Such great advice. 
we all need to remember that the next time we hear and know it's not the it's not it's not your idea it's that person and that's not the right idea for them so that's good yep next next person please yes please <laughs> we'll come back to you we'll listen carefully to why you said no because there might be something in the future that's a yes but um but there's there's someone waiting for you to help maximize your your dream passion with purpose did that come first or just you being an artist did that come first being an artist came first and um feeling a little lost came before passion and purpose intersected so when and did you first realize that you were an artist i was super little i was my first memories are of creating things. Um, I used to write songs when I was three or four, and I'd write both the lyric and the melody. And then I would go out and um, stage them. And I remember, you know, the neighbors probably thought I was a little weirdo <laughs> because I had choreography, you know, going down the street. <laughs> and it was always um, sort of by myself. And, you know, I think part of that is just because even though um, I'm open to the world and my work in theater um, keeps me really engaged and I love people, at the heart of it, I am an introvert. And so I have to, um, as, I, as I got older, I could reach out a little bit better to collaborate, but instead, instead of having like another neighborhood kid to collaborate when I was very young, I just made one up. I made up an imaginary friend <laughs> and we would create, um, create songs and dances and plays and stories. And that just never went away. It, it continued to grow as I grew. The imaginary friend went away. <laughs> well, we need to bring, I think we all need to bring our imaginary friends back. I do too. Mine was awesome. Did she have a name or was it a boy or girl? It was a girl. Her name was Boo Boo. Boo Boo? Yes. And she had big freckles and glasses and blonde hair. And she loved all of my ideas. <laughs> Thank you, Boo Boo. That's great. Yes. <laughs> to this day, anytime I feel a little bit of self-doubt, I think about Boo Boo and I remind myself that, that I created Boo Boo and she is me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I feel uh, inspired to draw a Boo Boo pin curl girl for you. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. So back to being that artist, how did you decide that or give yourself permission that you could be an artist as an adult or grow up to be do art instead of getting the traditional nine to five job? It happened sort of accidentally. Um, I had a really significant experience in college. I was attending UNL as a theater major and honestly really struggling. I um, was raised in a rural community and sort of ill-prepared for the culture shock in coming to a large university at the time. And I would say probably pretty depressed as well, just feeling lonely and out of sorts. And like I was working on this degree, but constantly hearing from the world around me that 
this isn't a legitimate pursuit. What are you going to do with this? And that's not any one person's fault, or that isn't a message I was hearing from any one person. That was the culture of then, and it's still somewhat the culture of now, you know? I think it's a little bit better, but at the time, it was like, what are you going to do with this? Mm-hmm. And so I felt myself at the time even self-sabotaging a little bit, and I enrolled in a playwriting class one semester that was taught by the extraordinary Dr. Tice Miller, who was also the department chair at the now Johnny Carson School of Theater and Film. And I took his playwriting class and um, we had an assignment to try to write a scene. And I'd never written a play before. And I remember going home and just putting every ugly thought into this script and kind of thinking, you know, maybe this is it. Maybe I will fail so badly at this that they have to kick me out of college and I can go live with mom and dad and they can make all the rules for me forever and I can hide under a pillow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it really, um, it was really kind of a, a challenging time for me. And so the scene ended up, um, when I reread it, it had a lot of kind of ugly stuff in it, but it, was, it read as comedy. It was really, really funny. And so... I went back to class and all of my classmates read through their scenes and I was last and I felt myself get that tight stomach nervousness when all of the sudden you kind of have to own what you've done. You know, I'm thinking we're going to read this and it's so dark and it's so terrible and it's so weird and I'm showing the world my insides right now. Yeah. And we read the thing. And Dr. Miller looked at me and he said, that is really good. And I was shocked. (laughs) No one had said to me ever that the most complicated stuff going inside of me was really good. (laughs) And so my, uh, it's almost visual to me. Like I felt a shift about everything. Like maybe everything about me that I was trying to hide or minimize or cover up was exactly the part of me that I actually needed to let out into the sun. And so I started to change the way I worked on things. I started to change the way I shared. Um, I finished the play and it was produced at UNL the following semester. So I got busy in, in terms of starting to get stuff done. And um, I don't know, it just it just occurred to me almost like a switch one day that instead of trying to be something I'm not, if I can allow myself to be vulnerable and let people see what's really going on inside that I, I felt at home. I felt like I was on a track to somewhere and that it was okay if I didn't know where that led because it felt good instead of bad. And so I learned to trust that process. That's the magic that you have inside of you that, let you produce all these wonderful shows and plays and programs. And that's, that's so good that you had that experience of putting it all out there and showing your insides, but then realizing that that, that was, that was the good stuff. Thank you for saying that. That is so kind. And, you know, I still have, even when I still sometimes have doubts about that, I've started to understand because so much of that goes into my playwriting work that there are 
children and adults in my audiences, that that's the part they understand. That's the part where they see themselves. And um, so that's where that purpose kicks in, right? To making sure that, that there's something happening that's accessible to people that, that shows the more complicated parts of life. Because if we can make space for those things and talk about them and work those things out and acknowledge them, then we can have really healthy, happy lives. But we got to look at that stuff first. So, yeah, this is a hard question, but like, how would someone start doing that? I mean, we, as, as, you know, as young as 13, 12, even nine years old as a female, I feel like we're, we're trained by society or, or I'm not sure what to downplay ourselves and to not show those insides and that magic because it might be wrong. Do you have any advice of, of just like little baby steps that people can try just showing themselves just a little bit as they grow up? Sure. I, it, it is a difficult question, but, but what I go to first is this. You own your magic. It belongs to you first. And so what I would encourage anyone to do as a baby step is starting to let that magic out in a safe place without editing it. And what I mean by that is, you know, I can go quickly to writing because I'm a writer. Get out a piece of paper, put down whatever's in your mind and on your heart. Don't edit it. Don't worry about spelling, punctuation. Just get it out there. And once it's on the paper, it exists. And that doesn't mean that you have to share it with the world tomorrow, but it means that when you meet the person that you can share it with, you're going to know who that is. Um, the same is true of dance. The same is true of visual art. The same is true of anything that you might love. If you can get comfortable with being your authentic self, when you're alone, if you can catch your thoughts when you're having them, if you can hear yourself say, oh, this might be kind of weird. I'm not sure. Yeah. But then also remind yourself, but no one's looking right now. I, I own this so I can decide how I share it. You know, those are, those are some great baby steps to first getting comfortable with yourself. Something that also helps me and it helps me to this day is lowering my status. And what I mean by that is I have the opportunity to work along so many students of all ages. And I know that if I want to create a safe space with fifth graders, if I can be dorkier than they're afraid they might be, yeah, right. it's fair game, <laughs> right? So working with younger people, you know, if you're a 12-year-old girl and you have an idea, maybe you find the six or seven-year-olds in your neighborhood and you share your idea <laughs> because um, younger people or people who are learning often look to those of us who have things to share to kind of know what's okay or how to be. So just um, turning it into energy of making other people comfortable too by sort of saying, hey, it's okay if we're kind of wacky. It's okay if this isn't cool. 
And just a little secret, and I know you know this, Jen, but honestly, whatever doesn't seem cool, the older you get, that's what's cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? yep. All the nerdy stuff is super cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, just, just getting comfortable with the idea that you can create and you can decide who sees it and who doesn't. And I think that's enough of a first step. Yeah, it really is. And this is a good opportunity for us right now, being having life slow down a little bit for ourselves and being able to create by ourselves and not having to show people if we're not ready to show people. But it just leads us to opportunities for artists, whether they're dancers or, or painters or drawers or animators or playwrights or writers or songwriters there's a lot of opportunity and some more time opening up to us to create. That's absolutely right. And I think the key is enjoy that time without pressure. You know, um, it's, I'm a playwright and I probably won't write a play during this break just because I'm enjoying being home with my kids we're dealing with big changes in the world and kind of getting used to what that's like. I'm stepping outside every day and making sure that I breathe in fresh air and I don't always take the time to do that, but I'm stopping and I'm doodling when I'm thinking about something or I'm, you know, quick writing a short poem after a meeting that I've had, you know, at my dining room table on zoom. So just, allowing yourself the space to be creative without saying I have to do this and this and this and this. I think um, if we can all trust that process a little bit, there'll be a great deal of creative content that comes from this time. And frankly, it can be, um, it can be a little bit of not a literal lifesaver maybe, but a lifesaver because we do have time on our hands and it just feels good to get the brain working and the body working. And um, this is a great time to take some creative risks in trying new things at home. I love that. I'm, I have to admit I'm guilty of working quite a bit. And I think that you make a really good point, which I've heard deep down in my heart by saying that you don't have to use this time to create, but you know, using this time to give yourself space, to carry around a notebook, jot down ideas, but relax, go outside, be with your family, cook new things, try new things. That does lead to inspiration later on as well. I agree. I tend to think that those of us, and I, I do believe everyone has creativity inside of them, but those of us that strongly identify as being creative or artists, we never stop creating. We're always making art. So for me, I may be writing a play right now, but that doesn't mean I'll be at the computer right now. Maybe in six months, I'll be at the computer and the life that I'm living right now will go on to the page. Or maybe um, what you're experiencing right now will turn into a series of new paintings, right? right. Um, we don't know what that's going to be, but of course we are creating all the time. It's letting go of, of the deadlines of the, it has to look or sound or feel this way 
and just trusting, trusting ourselves and trusting the process a little bit to say, wow, this is a really dynamic time to be alive. And there's going to be a lot of rich stuff that, that comes out of this time whenever it comes. I love that. The this is a dynamic time. That's great. I've tried to start using that because there are so many negative words um, being thrown out there. And I understand that we're dealing with serious issues with this virus and that there are some scary things and scary thoughts that come to the surface, but it's also truly a very dynamic time. There are highs and lows and wonderful things to draw from this time and um, changes that will happen to our world that, that may um, lead to a better future. I saw, um, I saw on the news that because there's not a lot of um, stuff happening with like the canals in Venice, that the water is cleared up and you can see fish you know, yeah. there, there are some interesting things happening in the world that might teach us how to build a better world in the future because of this, this sort of um, challenging event. So I'm, I'm trying, to, um, trying to hold on to the silver lining because I think, I think this will make us better and stronger in the end. Yeah, I, I, I love that about you, and which is one of the reasons I really was excited to talk to you today. I really do believe that it, the power is within us to shape this in the way that makes us feel optimistic and better instead of living in the fear that you see quite a bit on the news and stuff like that. And I've even had my own transformation of, of, of that fear, of going down into that fear and then releasing it, knowing that it wasn't helping me at all and looking for those positives and just enjoying myself and, and seeing those opportunities that, that, that this is providing. And um, yeah, I know it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a new time for all of us, but it just really helps your, your, your self, um, your mental state, I think, to to look for opportunities and stay positive instead of going down that that fear path. I really appreciate that. I yeah, I I feel similarly. And the thing is, too, you know, this won't last forever. And as artists, we're sometimes um, overlooked. People don't always understand that artists generally are also very practical <laughs> about <laughs> making things work and getting things done and problem solving. And this is a great time to sharpen up those wonderful practical skills as artists, because if you have that plus the creativity, plus the innovation, it just makes anything possible. You know, if, if you can um, stay calm, cool and collected and take the best possible care of yourself during a global pandemic, you can probably also produce your own show. Yeah. That's <laughs> you great. know? Yeah. yeah. So all of this stuff is just contributing to the larger toolbox of who we're all becoming and what's possible. Yep. Owning our power and, and using it and staying calm. And yeah, it'll definitely, definitely be with us when, once this is, past us and in the rearview mirror. 
Yeah. So sure. my 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 final question for you today would be since this is a podcast named Girl Brave, I'd love to hear your definition of being brave and other and ideas that you might have for people listening um, on how they can be brave during this time. Of course. So bravery for me, and it changes sometimes, but what it means for me right now is that when I'm feeling scared or discouraged or challenged, that I first take the time to acknowledge that. I say to myself, hey, Becky, I think you're a little freaked out right now. And then if I can acknowledge that, and I can say, why am I feeling this feeling and work that out a little bit for myself, then I can keep moving forward in pursuit of my dreams or my purpose or whatever's coming next. But I think it's really important to go through things instead of around them. Mm -hmm. And you have to be brave to go through things instead of around them. Um, I think something that we can all do right now that's incredibly brave and challenging is to take really good care of ourselves um, and, and of each other. But, but usually most of us are better at taking care of other people than ourselves. And we have to take the time to do that. It's brave to stay inside for a long time and not go out and do the normal things. But that challenge, having the ability to meet that challenge and say, we can do this. We can do this as a local community. We can do this as a global community. We can be brave and live life a little differently than normal right now is going to make a real difference for everyone. And it'll help us get through this more quickly too. So sometimes being brave is just acknowledging where you're at and sort of feeling those feelings and then deciding how to take the step forward. Lovely. Well, thank you so much. This has been so much fun and you are a talented, amazing person, and um, you've given us such wise words to listen to over and over. So I appreciate you spending the time with us this afternoon, with me this afternoon. Jen, thank you so much. You are, you are such a gift. Thank you for um, this podcast and for all the amazing things you do. You're welcome. I love helping and sharing knowledge and inspiring others just like you do. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today on the Girl Brave Podcast. Head over to our website at www.pincurlgirls.com to hear more. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.